KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. I accepted it. I, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to die in the foreseeable future. It's hard to really imagine. But I started to live in a sort of contracted time space, you know, like I thought, okay, I just had a clear scan, so I know I'm not dying this week, I know I'm not dying next week. Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. Facing up to our mortality can be one of the toughest tests we face in life. For poet Ray Armentrout, being diagnosed with a rare form of cancer with a high mortality rate led her on a surprising journey with both the highs and lows we find in life. Long before that, though, Ray was a child growing up in the working-class neighborhood of Allied Gardens in San Diego. My mother read poetry to me when I was a kid, so I think I started to like it because I was sitting on her lap when I heard it. I was very drawn to the rhythms. Also, those were picture books. I'm not saying that I understood it all, but I really liked the pictures and I really liked the sounds. And then when I was in first grade, my uh, teacher there was a poetry fan and she had all the kids make up poems. And I just, you know, had a, had a great time doing that. Do you remember what your poem was? It was kind of a, a little Zen Cohen, though I, of course I didn't know what Zen Cohens were then, but it was... Uh, the little fish swim around and around and away. Well, I was a bookworm. I mean, I loved reading. I was an only child, so I was kind of lonely. And uh, my mother worked, which was somewhat unusual. For the, I was a child in the 50s. My father was in the Navy. My grandmother stayed with us a lot to take care of me, but she was not talkative, and so um, I had a lot of time on my hands, and I spent that time reading. Ray later went on to study poetry in college, then grad school. She also became a published poet and eventually a professor at the University of California at San Diego. In the mid-aughts, her body started going through some changes, including more hair growth on her face and elsewhere. She became concerned. The first symptoms that I had, I didn't really recognize as anything serious, not consciously. And my mind began to sort of race, too. I guess that was, I don't know if that was a cortisol or, or what, but, you know, there was a weird sort of stew of hormones going on in, in my body. I let that kind of go for months. I started having electrolysis to get rid of the hair because the hair on my face bothered me. But finally, I just... There was some kind of anxiety bubbling up from underneath, even though I was suppressing it. Sometimes I think that your body knows things that your conscious mind doesn't. There can be things that you don't want to think about that on another level you know. And so I started to have these dreams that were ominous. There was one about being pulled out to sea in a little rowboat. I was in a little rowboat, but it was connected by a rope to a ship. 
And the ship was going out to sea at nightfall, sort of dusk, and I was behind it in this rowboat, and it was clear to me the way that things are clear to you in dreams, you know, that they were going to cut the rope and leave me alone out there. I can't remember all of them, but I do remember that one, but I know that there were several. They all seem to symbolize death, or at least separation. What was your reaction to that? I mean, was it, are you very attuned to your dreams and tend to look for meaning in them? I'm somewhat attuned to them because if I remember them well, I might write them down. I'm not, you know, mystical about it. I mean, I suppose I would just wake up and go, whoa, that was a bad dream. But when you have one after another and you haven't been having them in the past, you have to start to think, what's going on here? So finally, I admitted that I was con- to myself that I was concerned, and I went to my doctor. Um, I went in there, and my doctor said, hmm, well, we better do a blood test. And she did a blood test, and it came back really crazy, you know, crazy numbers. So she said, well, then we better do a CT scan. So I scheduled that, and we talked about what it could be, and she said it was very likely a benign tumor on my adrenal glands because... Benign tumors are much more common than cancer on the adrenal glands, and they can have those, they can create those symptoms. So I wasn't too worried when I went in for the CT scan. So I had it, and then I drove home, and then almost as soon as I walked in the door, the phone rang, and it was my doctor again. And she said that they had found this large tumor, grapefruit-sized, they said. I don't know why they always compare tumors to fruit. And it was near an artery, so she was concerned, and I guess the radiologist had been concerned, that it was going to compress or or break into my artery. So she thought my life was immediately in danger. So she said, pack a bag, go to University Hospital. A team will be waiting. You know, I was on the phone with my doctor when my husband walked in the door. And I remember what he said. He said, oh, I thought it would be all right. (laughs) Isn't that sad? And I went, I guess not. You know, his face really just sank and he just sounded disappointed, you know. I thought it would be all right. Which is kind of, the, in a way, the mode that we were in for the next few months. Is <laughs> I thought it was going to be all right, but it isn't. And then we got some stuff and we went to University Hospital. I guess we got there at 7. I got in a line when it was my turn to be called to the window. And if you've ever been to the window with a, behind which the receptionist sits at University Hospital Emergency Room, it's like bulletproof glass, right? And I had to step over blood, and I step, step up to the receptionist. And I said, uh, you know, my doctor said a team would be standing by. And the, the woman just looked at me like I was insane and just gave me some paperwork to fill out and said, sit over there kind of a horror show in there, often in their emergency room. My husband was actually you know, trying to get people who were quasi-overdosing or whatever to move over so, so that we could sit together. And then about 11.15, someone called me and they did another scan, and uh, then we waited for the results of that, and then they decided that I could go home. I wasn't dying that night. But you can imagine how shocking this was. So I went to feeling kind of good to, oh, and you're not dying tonight. 
So they sent me home that night, and they made an appointment for me to see an endocrinologist in a few days. So I went and, you know, saw him. And he had already made me an appointment with an oncological surgeon. And I I knew the word oncology, so I knew then. That's actually how I found out. And I said, I wanted to argue with him, sort of, and I said, but couldn't it be benign? And he was sort of very casual. He said, oh, the benign ones don't get this large. And that's how I found out. That's when I found out that I had cancer. And he never said cancer, but that's when I knew it was cancer. And he was so casual about it, and I was kind of, you know, uh, stunned. And it was maybe four days after I went to the hospital, and I was kind of in shock. I wasn't as frightened as, as, as I would imagine I would be. And in fact... I never was during this whole experience. I mean, all the way up to surgery, up to the day of surgery, I was never really as frightened as I would think I would be. I think I was kind of in shock, you know. I kind of was dissociated, I think. And I even, it even seemed sort of humorous to me. I guess because that's part of being dissociated, but when things are so different from your expectations suddenly, I guess, the idea that it's funny can be one reaction. It's like, oh, isn't this odd now? We'll be back right after this. How long has it been since you saw something new in San Diego for the very first time? Well, Hornblower Cruises and Events wants to make that happen for you because you listen to the show. As a listener, Hornblower is offering a $5 discount when you use promo code MFD5D. You can have your own first day on the water. Exploring beautiful San Diego. Departure info is at hornblower.com. Make your own first day. And again, just use promo code MFD5D when you buy tickets. Now back to Ray's story. One aspect of her life that cancer didn't change was Ray's commitment to writing. Her new illness just couldn't get in the way of that. I mean, I basically take a blank notebook with me everywhere. I took it into the hospital made some notes, even though I was, of course, uh, heavily medicated, <laughs> but I made some scribbly notes. And I, uh, I have written in doctor's waiting, waiting rooms. But, you know, wherever I was, I just continued to write. It's called Together. Now I am always perched on a metal examination table. Two people, a doctor and a nurse, come at intervals to tell me whether I will live or die. They do this with practiced solemnity. They're smug or snug in their habits. Their relative safety, of course, but that is to be expected. And I wait expectantly, even eagerly, as if I might be of some help. If the news is bad, I imagine, they will direct our attention to an area of concern. For a moment, we will lean together toward that place. I mean, I guess it's I'm I'm struggling, I suppose, against a tendency to resent the doctor just because the doctor is relatively safe in that situation. I mean, it's only natural that for you this is for you the patient, this is literally life and death and for them it's another day at the office. That's just the structure of the situation, it's not their fault. But I was kind of struggling, I guess, against resenting that. 
Ray soon met with the surgeon who would attempt to remove the tumor. I think I saw her on June 6th of 2006. I remember that. This is silly, but because of the 666 thing, (laughs) June 6th, 2006, isn't that silly? I said again, hopefully, (laughs) fearfully, I said, well, couldn't it be benign? And she said, doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to get it. So confidence is a a good quality in a surgeon, I suppose. She kind of had jet pilot mentality or something, but I think that's a good thing for a surgeon. (laughs) And then she asked me if I wanted to see it because she had it, of course, up on a screen, a picture of the, the tumor that had been taken in the scan. And I said, no, I, I don't think I want to meet this thing. I just want it gone. <laughs> and she said, okay. The surgery went well, and the tumor was successfully removed. But Bray's future was not so certain. When I looked online about the survival rates for my kind of cancer, which was adrenal cortical cancer, it's about 5% survival. So, I mean, basically... Even though they got it all, my assumption, which, you know, was never really discussed, but was that it was going to come back and I was going to die within maybe two years. I accepted it. I, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to die in the foreseeable future. It's hard to really imagine. But I started to live in a sort of contracted time space, you know, like I thought, okay, I just had a clear scan, so I know I'm not dying this week. I know I'm not dying next week. You know, I'm not going to die in the next couple months because right now they see no evidence of cancer. So I'm going to live in these two months, you know. Uh, And so I would do that and then the next scan would be approaching because it was every three months. So I would only start to get anxious really in the weeks just before, a couple weeks before the scan and then in the week or so afterwards when I was waiting for the results. I kept getting clear scans, you know, but I kept expecting that it would come back because, you know, that's what I had read. During this time that I was uh, having scans and waiting for for recurrence, I was also, of course, writing because that's what I do and that's what I deal. That's how I deal with my emotions and thoughts. And also, perversely, I found it kind of stimulating because, well, you know, I had never had cancer before. I mean, it was like a new experience. It was novel. It was being on the on the Verge of death was a place I had never been before, right? It was like unexplored territory. So um, I just had a lot to write about. Through all the treatments and doctor visits, Ray's scans kept coming back clear. All the while, she continued writing. The result was a poetry collection called Versed, which ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 2010. But how she found out about the award wasn't so cut and dry. I got a call from um, the sort of community outreach officer from UCSD, and she assumed that I did know. So I said, hello, and she said, hi, Ray, the press are going to want to talk to you. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I was just quiet for a minute, and then I started to think something bad had happened, you know, like, like I was in trouble or something, and I went, what happened? And she said, you don't know, do you? And I said, no, what? And she, then she told me. And then I started yelling for my husband because I wanted to tell him. And he came running in because he thought something bad had happened because I was yelling. <laughs> so we both thought that it was a, a disaster for a moment. But it was good. So that's how I found out. <laughs> as indirectly as I found out that I had cancer. 
when you come to think of it. The whole thing is just really an odd story. And it, because there was such a good outcome, and I don't mean just in terms of my career, but I mean in terms of surviving this cancer, which I, is usually not very survivable, because of that, I actually think it was a kind of a positive experience, as scary as it was. I wrote some poems that I like and wouldn't have written otherwise. I thought differently about time. But I learned to kind of think about living in the present more, you know, like, I'm not dying tonight, I'm not dying this month. Learn to just focus on the time that you have right now. I thought more about that. Well, I wish I could say that it had made me a better person, but I, I think I'm pretty much the same person I was before, I'll be honest. I, I think the main thing that it has made me realize is that anything can happen. What they call the black swan, you know, it's always there. It could be the next thing you see. Today, more than 12 years since her diagnosis, Ray Armentrout remains cancer-free and continues to write and publish her poetry. Thanks for listening. Our Instagram is myfirstdaystories. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken, with additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis and Karina Rep. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is programming coordinator. Nate John is innovation specialist. Emily Jankowski is media production specialist. Jill Linder is programming manager. Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. Thanks also to public radio station KUOW in Seattle. Also, thanks to Kurt Conan. Thanks. See you next time. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.